0: else is looking at me because i'm going to kick it off and say
1: you realize that i'm not hosting this one
0: well what what do you mean i don't realize that
1: no it's (laughs) you and ted
0: uh okay well then you should you should you should go off camera and stop making faces at me well then then it's over to you ted you you can welcome grace to the podcast
2: but uh, you know should should i be welcoming like i
0: okay fine
2: this is my first time co-hosting that's fine
1: and welcome back to Disputed, a Norton rose Fulbright podcast, and we have some changes to announce. In addition to myself and Andrew McCoom, we're excited to welcome two new co-hosts whose voices you will hear over the coming months. Our first new voice is co-hosting this episode alongside Andrew. His name is Ted Brook. Ted was a guest last year on our episode about payment disputes in the construction industry. He's a senior associate in Toronto whose practice focuses on class actions, environmental litigation and complex commercial disputes. And now, in addition to his corporate practice, Ted is also involved in a number of pro bono projects, including a case at the moment challenging whether Canada's first-past-the-post system is constitutional. Pro bono is the topic of this episode. The full term is pro bono publica for the public good. It's the idea that lawyers have an ethical obligation to help those who otherwise would not be able to afford representation. In the US and the UK, there is a well-developed culture of pro bono among corporate law firms. And while there are elements of that culture in Canada, such as through our participation in legal advice clinics, it is fair to say that it's not as traditionally integrated into private practice, but we believe that that is changing. And this episode explores the steps that are being taken to bridge the gap between what we do as a corporate law firm and providing services for the public good. Our guest speaker for this episode is King's counsel, Grace Pastine. Grace has recently joined the firm as our pro bono counsel and her role is the first of its kind in this country. Grace's work aims to promote access to justice, develop partnerships with charities and legal services organizations, and identify new ways to connect the firm's resources to community needs. Before joining the firm, Grace was the litigation director for the B.C. Civil Liberties Association where for 15 years she advanced human rights and civil liberties through impact litigation, spurring reforms relating to patients' rights, police accountability and prisoners' rights. In this episode, Grace, Ted and Andrew share stories on the public interest work that they and others at our firm are doing and consider how we can increase access to justice in this country including working with our corporate clients to achieve these goals. Some key questions we consider include, what does it mean to act in the public interest or for the public good? And how do we determine the most meaningful pro bono projects to devote our time and resources to? And how can your organization partner with Norton Rose Fulbright to get involved in these initiatives?
0: Grace. Welcome to the podcast Ted. Welcome back to the podcast as a guest host. It's great to have you back.
2: Thank you. I feel like I have I got a promotion.
0: Uh well, speaking of which, uh we would be remiss if we didn't start by uh congratulating you Grace on your recent appointment to uh King's Council. It's phenomenal.
3: Oh, thank you. I'm I'm very honored by uh the designation and uh it's great to join you both here today. Thanks so much for having me.
0: We're very excited about this episode um, and to dig into what you do uh, and what the pro bono practice looks like. What does pro bono mean uh, in in your practice? What does the term mean? I think we all use it. We probably misuse it or misunderstand it. Can you give us your sense?
3: Absolutely. Well, I think um, at its core, pro bono is about... Uh, giving back to the communities where we live and work. And it's based on the recognition that as lawyers, we hold a privileged place in society. We have a unique role in respect to the courts and upholding democratic institutions and ensuring that fundamental human rights are respected. So I think at at its core, pro bono is about giving back and um, providing legal services to people that otherwise would not be able to afford them.
2: Well, one of the things that, um, you know, stands out for me, uh, Grace, is how everyone kind of knows pro bono means free, right? It's kind of in the, in the common parlance, but the the word that gets missed a lot is that the, the full Latin phrase pro bono is pro bono publica, right? It's, it's uh, for the public good, so so you're doing some type of free legal service, but there's a there's a social bent behind it, right? There's it's not just a transactional type of uh, legal service. You're 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 identifying some type of um, service, right, to society or 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 some organization that you feel is advancing the public good.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's that's absolutely right. Um, that quite. Central to the legal profession is this notion that um, there's a particular ethical obligation for lawyers to um, be helping those who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford a lawyer, and to help uh, bridge the the justice gap uh, that that we're experiencing in this country.
0: So, Grace. Please- your role with the firm is unique in its kind, the first of its kind in Canada as pro bono counsel. um and i'm I'm interested to hear you refer to that justice gap that you just mentioned. I mean, we we work for a very large multinational law firm. I don't know that people always presume a strong connection between the idea of what it is that we maybe do on our website and a concept like trying to bridge a gap in access to justice. But can you tell us how that objective connects into your practice?
3: Well, first of all, at at Norton Rose Fulbright, I think pro bono is central to what we do and central to who we are, but you're right. There are, you know, it's not necessarily what people think of when they think of a global elite law firm. Um, but I think there's a real recognition on behalf of the firm that we, we, uh, we're experiencing an access to justice crisis in this country that the vast majority of people cannot afford a lawyer, and that there are important and meaningful ways in which our lawyers can help bridge that gap. And there is a very strong commitment on behalf of the firm to to do that work um, and to to fill that gap.
0: let's dive into that a bit more. I mean, what do pro bono services uh, actually tend to involve?
3: Pro bono really extends across all of our practice areas. Uh, We have lawyers that are doing uh, pro bono work that is kind of the traditional type of you know, constitutional litigation that you might typically think of when you think of pro bono. Um, We have lawyers who are um, providing transactional legal services um, to people that otherwise would not be able to afford them. Um, Immigration matters matters on behalf of low-income tenants. Um, there's really a, a huge uh, variety of pro bono work that lawyers are, at our firm are doing, and it 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 spans all of our practice areas.
2: Yeah, it's interesting you say that, Grace. I mean, just from, from my perspective in the litigation group, um, the ways that we can contribute to pro bono initiatives are kind of you know, more obvious than, than those that uh, some of our colleagues in the other practice groups have, and sometimes the response I get from from our colleagues in corporate or tax or um, IP is sort of like, "Well, you have it easy. You know, you can go advocate for someone in court, doing your your normal job. But uh, in a public interest case, what can we do in in, in corporate uh, or as a lawyer in, in IP?" Uh, to help pro bono clients? I don't know, is that something you kind of come across that that initial resistance? And if so, what do you do about it when you're sort of uh, exploring these opportunities?
3: That is a concern that um, lawyers on, you know, the business side often raise, like what kind of pro bono is available to me. And, you know, the fact is, is that there are Aren't as many well developed opportunities outside of uh, the litigation practice areas, but there's still a lot. And uh, so I'll I'll give you an example of um, uh, some work that um, lawyers in our uh, Vancouver office are doing. Robert Hansen, Tammy Chu, and Nate Misery are exploring a partnership with uh, the Black Entrepreneurs and Businesses of Canada Society, um, the BEBC. Uh, The BEBC is a fantastic organization. They're a Black-led nonprofit organization, and they represent Black businesses in Canada essentially what they're trying to do is help black businesses grow and scale up and, uh, become sustainable. So, um, our lawyers are working with the BEBC to develop a clinic, uh, like model essentially, to provide those of its members who are of limited means with some practical and timely um, corporate and commercial legal advice. So you know the, the areas where our lawyers will be able to help uh, members of the BEBC could include everything from business structures to employment issues uh, to intellectual property, uh, these types of things. So this is really an example where our firm is recognizing that um, there aren't as many kind of ready-made pro bono opportunities for um, corporate transactional lawyers at our firm, but there's a huge pressing need in our communities for that, for pro bono legal services in those areas. And so our, you know, enterprising lawyers at our firm are helping to develop that, that work.
0: And how does your role uh, intersect with that effort of people who are looking. I mean, we, we have the supply, obviously, within the firm of people looking to do something to help their community. Um, how how are you working, Grace, in your role to sort of connect them with demand?
3: So um, my role at the firm, and you're right, it's a, it's a unique role amongst firms in Canada, is to lead our pro bono practice. And a key part of that is helping to develop pro bono opportunities and working very closely with organizations in our communities that are addressing kind of critical needs um, that uh, Canadians are facing. Um, So um, I introduced our lawyers to the Black Entrepreneurs and Businesses of Canada Society. That's kind of one example of the type of work I do. Um, I, I, I work with other organizations like Prisoners Legal Services um, with some of the, you know, uh, with access to justice organizations across the country. With another example is the Canadian Center for Housing Rights. And Andrew, I really am interested to hear you speak about kind of your work with them.
0: I was going to say, Grace, I mean, in part, I'm asking you a question to which I know the answer. This is the artifice <laughs> of our podcast. This is really interesting. You and I sat down uh, a little while after you started and you were touring offices and connecting with people. And we had a pretty interesting, I thought, very open conversation about my sort of views on pro bono work and what I was interested in doing. And, and one of the things that you and I talked about was my impression that You know, living in Toronto right now, it it is, in my view, and I think the view of many other people, a city suffering from many overlapping crises right now. There's a mental health crisis. There are housing affordability crisis issues all over the place. Um, and, And it's a city that's struggling and it doesn't take much more than a walk down the street, any given street to see that and to feel drawn to try to find a way to correct that in some way. And so... You and I had a fantastic conversation about those issues and and what they meant to us, and then you came back to me with with this connection to the Canadian Center for Housing Rights, and the opportunity to work on helping individual families keep their homes in a challenging moment in their lives. And and um, you know I'm I'm currently working with a family that suffers from uh that they're, they're at risk of being um homeless in their circumstances they suffer from disability related issues and uh and other factors and um f- having you know having uh a partner from uh, a large law firm a litigator um albeit little old me but but someone with my credentials at least show up and be fighting in their corner uh I have to imagine, and they've been kind enough to communicate to us that it's very inspiring and confidence building for them in a very difficult moment um and so it's just one of those things where where you and I spoke, and my impression was, and I think you and I agreed on this that we want to look for opportunities to put our practical skills to the greatest use and and candidly for me, i don't know if that would be making submissions at the Supreme Court so much as it would be making um sort of uh last ditch efforts to help somebody keep their house and to each their own. Facilitating those um relationships is so interesting. I mean, Ted, I, I know you as well uh are busy in the space uh doing some work. Can you tell us about what you got going on?
2: Yeah, and and again, a lot of my pro bono uh activity has been because of grace, the uh the great connector within our with our firm, kind of like identifying these organizations and opportunities to to give back so i mean for for starters i've i've done uh work with pro bono ontario for for many years volunteering with the the hotline Uh, pro bono ontario is a organization um that provides um summary legal service to low-income uh ontarians and uh one of the ways that they do that is is through a sort of hotline where where people who who can't afford a, a lawyer are able to call in and spend 30 minutes um, asking about about legal problems and and getting you know advice or or at least you know, some some help uh, identifying what the issues are from a legal perspective and that could be consumer protection could be going to court it could be housing it could be problems they have at work. Um, and so I, I, volunteer with that organization and, and, uh, I know a number of the lawyers in our firm do, um, Grace, you're, you're organizing an event with Pro Bono Ontario and right. one of our clients coming up later this month, right?
3: Yes, that's right. We're doing, a we're co-sponsoring every Wednesday in July with BMO, Bank of Montreal and, um, BMO lawyers and um, Norton Rose Fulbright lawyers are coming together to staff the hotline. And so BMO approached us and said, would you like to uh, sponsor uh, this event with us? And we said, yeah, absolutely. So um, it's great you've been doing that work for so long, Ted. That hotline serves such an important role. Um, in Ontario for addressing people's, you know, basic legal needs. Um, So, so great you've been doing that. And I'm really glad that you'll be participating in our sponsored month of pro bono also.
0: And Ted, you mentioned as well, just a little bit earlier, you know, the tension of, of advocacy work, but I think that's an area that a lot of people appreciate as being a place where a lot of good pro bono work gets done, especially when it comes to public interest litigation. Um, either of you or both of you, I invite you to talk about sort of your charter challenge work. What's that like? What are you trying to accomplish? What's going on right now in that space?
2: Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm sure Grace could talk for hours about her work um, with the PCCLA. Um, but my my kind of current experience is um, uh, we are representing um, uh, Apathy is Boring, which is a, a nonpartisan charity that works to support and educate youth to become active, uh, contributing citizens in the democracy. And and we're representing them um, as an intervener uh, in a superior court case in which the applicants are um, challenging um Provisions of the Canada Elections Act. So th- this is a voting rights case, and uh, it's about our electoral system. It's really as fundamental as you can get of, of a voting rights case in Canada. The the question for the court is about whether um, our first past the post system um, at the federal level violates Section Three and Section Fifteen of the Charter. Um, and, and there are a number of interveners have sort of secured status to appear in front of the court and make submissions about what they think should be taken into account by the judge. Uh, and what we're doing is we're working with Apathy is Boring to essentially ensure that their voice gets heard in this case. So they have a very unique perspective, obviously, um, as a, you know, the, the country's largest bilingual youth led organization that's committed to engaging youth and democracy, they have a lot to say about the electoral system and its effects on young Canadians, how it can uh, pose challenges to getting them engaged, the structural challenges to getting youth engaged. Um, and so we're working with them to sort of translate their message into legal argument and to guide them through the core process. Um, and and uh, I'll just add that, you know, apathy is not a serial intervener, right? They don't do these sorts of court cases every single month, every single year. They're they're not um, uh, an active participant in litigation. And so we are really, you know, guiding them and and helping them making sure that their important message um, gets taken into account by the judge. And the,
0: the sort of boom in interveners' rights being granted over the past number of years, I mean, I've seen that happen. I've seen how good it's been for young advocates getting an opportunity and sort of the biggest scale to get up on their feet to handle very important issues, to brief things in the way that intricate uh, an incredibly deep way you have to brief issues to be able to speak to that court. Um, But I I gather, Grace, that it's not just intervention work that we're able to do as well, that we've got party litigation for public interest litigation as well.
3: Yes, we do. One, uh, really interesting example of that and an important example is, um, uh, a lawyer in our Vancouver office, uh, Lindsay Wilson is representing, um, a man who's in prison and he approached our firm because he was, uh, sexually assaulted by prison guards. And Lindsay is representing him in, um, a civil challenge that includes um, allegations that his charter rights were violated by prison officials and by guards. And so, I mean, that's an example of where we're representing a party in a piece of litigation. The case was in, originally referred to us by uh, Prisoners Legal Services. And that is an organization that um, runs a legal clinic for prisoners in British Columbia. And they're also very Um, active in advocating for the rights of people in prison across the country. And and they highlighted uh, for us a really pressing need for legal counsel. And the fact that the kind of abuse that he suffered in prison was really a systemic issue that their clients were repeatedly facing and that had been, you know, has been called out over many years in um, prison. you know, various governmental reports and reports by the correctional investigator. And so that they thought that this was a really important opportunity to um, be helping one person whose rights were violated, um, as well as be pushing to have um, these abuses and imprisoned. So that's an example of um, a- another type of litigation that our firm's involved in.
0: It's incredible. I mean, just as an aside, I'll say this and, and listeners to this podcast won't be surprised to hear me say something relatively cynical, um, but but leaving aside how vital that is to the client in that case, that project for us to be involved in. I'm, I'm also hearing you describe that grace in my, I've got my manager hat on and I'm thinking about, you know, how challenging it can be to work on Bay Street, to work on corporate matters to put in the long hours but to have something like that in your file list that is that vital for an associate to be working on a project like that like i mean Lindsay's brilliant um and to have that as part of her stable of files as a change of pace and as something that's going to give her purpose i just it has to be one of those things that's going to be a huge stabilizer and energizer and and thing to look forward to in in one's practice. Um so this is sort of this exciting other dynamic about how people can be motivated by working on these things and and feel like it's really rounding them out personally and professionally.
3: Absolutely. And a lot of our lawyers, you know, at the firm, they they bring with them a lot of Pre existing connections to community organizations, to commitments, um, deep commitments to causes and issues that they've worked on over many years. And um, pro bono can be an opportunity for them to continue those commitments.
0: Can you, Grace, can you tell me, do you have an insight into how our pro bono culture compares with the pro bono culture, either of the firm or firms generally in the US? because i get the sense that there's a bit of a distinction in how the the subject is approached
3: i think in the us there is a really well developed culture of pro bono and there's probably a variety of reasons for that um, and a very strong commitment on behalf of firms of all sizes, whether they're small, medium, or large, to give back in very significant ways. Um, I think that culture pro bono also exists in Canada, but I don't think it as it is quite as well developed. For example, um, my role is the first of its kind in this country, whereas in the U.S., um virtually every uh, large firm has um, a pro bono counsel and sometimes a whole team of pro bono counsel um, that are working on client initiatives, bringing in opportunities for their lawyers, um, that type of thing.
0: And I have to imagine the opportunities to connect with our clients who, in many cases, won't have access to that same resourcing level on you know the, the supply that pipeline that you're building of opportunity. The clients have to I mean, they're feeling the same personal and professional and community draw, a- and I have to imagine there's demand on their side, like we talked about with the, with the pro bono hotline project for the summer, to try to collaborate on a on a greater and greater scale that's just sort of good for business and good for everybody.
3: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, increasingly uh, clients are approaching us and they're asking, what can we what can we do? What can we do together? How can um, in terms of pro bono, um, you know, our clients have their very strong community interests. They have their you know, key strategic priorities when it comes to, you know, giving back and engaging in pro bono.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's no one right reason uh, to do pro bono work, and there's no one type of uh, pro bono work. Um, that's I, right.
3: I, I, and, and Sorry, and, and maybe I would just add, you know, sometimes it's the situation where uh, it will be uh, a partner who has, you know, a very um, uh sophisticated, unique area of practice, and that's the area where they want to be doing pro bono work. And so I don't want to at all give the impression that our pro bono practice is um, entirely, um, you know, associates who are doing some things for the first time. Partners play a huge role in helping to create a culture of pro bono at our firm. So it means a lot when, you know, our heads of litigation are uh, like Andrew or Jennifer Teske or Linda first are doing pro bono work themselves are participating in the pro bono hotline are representing low income tenants who are about to be evicted from their homes. Um, It sends the message to everyone at the firm we value pro bono, it's an important part of your practice and yes, do it. Um,
2: so so Grace, uh, I, I wanna spend a minute or two just drilling down on the differences and sort of similarities between um, what I would call civil litigation or commercial litigation for you know, paying clients and uh, pro bono litigation or public interest litigation. Uh, when when we're working with a, a client um, in that context, so so from my perspective and my experience is actually there's, there's more similarities than differences, right? You you're working for your client, uh, whether it's pro bono uh, or a regular um, fee-paying client, you're getting instructions in both contexts, you're giving advice, and you're incorporating their objectives. And you're trying to win in, in court at the end of the day, right? You, you may have a different goal, perhaps in public interest litigation, uh, in a charter challenge, you're trying to have a, a statute struck down. Um, but in the commercial litigation context, you may be uh, trying to have a, a contract declared a nullity, right? So so you're, you're aiming for slightly different goals, but there's actually a lot of similarities in kind of how you build your case to get there. So I'm wondering, are there differences, or or do you also see similarities between um, the commercial litigation that our firm does and and the public interest litigation that we do in the pro bono context?
3: I think I tend to agree with you, Ted, that there are more similarities than differences. And, you know, of course, broadly speaking, not all public interest litigation is pro bono. There might be some litigation in the public interest um, that would be uh, for a paid client, maybe not so much at our firm, but uh, certainly at, at other firms. Um, but you know, really central to our pro bono practice is this notion that we deliver the very same high quality legal services to our clients, whether they are pro bono clients or they are paying clients. And that is a message that our pro bono committee, um, repeatedly sends to associates that are working on these matters and to partners that, you know, as do I. And I think it's very much baked into the ethic of pro bono at, at this firm, whether it's pro bono or not. Um, if you're a client of this firm, you receive the very highest level of service. One thing that does come up with pro bono uh, clients who are engaged in litigation is that um, the, co- the the disbursements involved in litigation are very high, um, especially for a person of limited means. And so this is a consideration that um, our lawyers need to have in mind and we need to be discussing with our pro bono clients at before litigation even begins because while our firm provides free pro bono services legal services in most cases we expect the clients will be able to cover disbursements and so that's everything from you know a court filing fee of $150 which could be uh, really a significant expense for some of our clients to
2: an expert report, even, you know, in, in certain exactly. cases. Yeah, exactly. thousands of dollars. Yeah,
3: it could be tens of thousands of dollars for an expert, expert report or, you know, paying for transcripts. Um, so that's a consideration that is, I think, unique to our pro bono public interest litigation.
2: Yeah, yeah. But it, it draws, though, again, to, to look at those similarities. You know, we, we, we do our budgeting and our estimating for, or commercial litigation cases so the clients understand, you know, where they're going to see expenses throughout the life of the file. And really what you have to be doing when you're working on a pro bono case is keeping that in mind, you know, so so that the client understands at the outset, but then also as the case progresses, where may, might they have to pay out of pocket for certain fees uh, as they move down the track?
3: That's right. I mean, it's incredibly important to just make sure that our Pro bono clients are aware at the outset um, of what they can anticipate in terms of disbursements and have really open conversations about whether that's a, whether that's possible for them or not, and also help direct them to other resources. So, for example, we have some matters uh, that have been referred to us through Access Pro Bono, uh, which is the Access to Justice Organization in British Columbia. Um, they have some limited funding available um, for civil litigation matters, um, up to I think, a few thousand dollars in some cases that can help defer some of those disbursement costs, which is incredibly helpful. Um, and uh, in some promises, you can also make applications to the court to have uh, some court fees waived, which could be which is can also be very helpful for our clients.
2: Um so so Grace, we've talked about how the demand for uh, our services sort of you know in in some ways is is greater than ever. With the access to justice crisis. Um, if, if there are many of these opportunities, these pro bono opportunities out there, um, how do you and, and how does the firm sort of assess potential opportunities as viable ones or, or meaningful ones that, that our lawyers can work on? How do you choose uh, what uh, opportunities get our support and what don't?
3: Well, our firm has a pro bono policy, and that policy focuses our pro bono efforts on um, providing free legal services to people of limited means and to organizations of limited means. And so that's really the core of our Pro bono practice is um, providing legal assistance to people who might be the most vulnerable, the most marginalized, and who are the least able to afford legal services to you know, uphold their essential legal rights. Um, We also have a well-established pro bono committee. There are partners from every one of our offices that sit on that committee and that um, review requests for, uh, to engage in pro bono work. People on that committee have a a long history of engaging in pro bono themselves. And they have a very, um, you know, deep understanding of our firm's business needs, where we have areas of a conflict and um, a- and where, you know, they think our pro bono work would be most valuable. We're a very entrepreneurial firm and that extends to pro bono as well. Um, there are, you know, sometimes I'm helping people source and identify really interesting uh, pro bono mandates um, other times, it's associates and partners who are uh, very who have important connections in the community. There are issues that they want to work on, and they identify things and bring it to my attention or bring it to the attention of a pro bono committee, and then we make a determination about whether it fits well within our firm's uh, priorities for our pro bono practice.
2: Uh, I, I want to pick up on something, Grace. Like I'm just curious, like personally, you were practicing uh, as a lawyer, you, you were um, before joining Norton Rose as pro bono counsel, um, the uh, litigation director at a very esteemed civil liberties organization. You're going to the Supreme Court, you're testifying in Parliament. Do you miss that now? Do you, do you miss not getting to be at, at the forefront of those cases and leading them and playing this role of developing the program and coordinating other people? Uh, doing that work
3: well, it's a it's a great question. I, I mean, one thing I really love is working with people developing programs, developing initiatives. and my role at the firm is is very much that. and um a lot of what was satisfying about being a human rights or civil liberties litigator is also present in this work. Um, in that um, it's uh, a big part of the role is um, is connecting with civil liberties, human rights organizations, nonprofit organizations um, that are identifying the needs in the community and working with them to make change in the world. So, um, you know, in my Previous role, you know, we'd frequently work with a whole variety of organizations. We worked with the John Howard Society on um, filing a charter challenge to the practice of long term and definite solitary confinement. I think one thing that I've always really uh, enjoyed about being a litigator, and Ted, I'm, I'm sure you can probably relate to this, is that. You really get to do a deep, deep dive into certain issues. and For sure, yeah. Yeah, and so you, by the end, you just, you know them inside and out. And it, it's almost sort of a scholarly endeavor, if you will. And I, I find that really satisfying. But I think, you know, more than anything, uh, I just, I really, what my past role taught me is just the role that lawyers can play Um In supporting and upholding fundamental human rights and supporting democratic institutions, really the role that pro bono can play in our society. And so it's really, that's all very transferable to the type of work that um, lawyers throughout our firm are doing now uh, with respect to their pro bono commitments.
2: Now, uh, Grace, I think that we are nearing our time, so I want to say thank you so much for speaking with Andrew and I today, and uh, I also want to give you a chance to uh, let let our listeners know, like if if they are an organization that wants to partner with the firm on an initiative, or um, someone who is connected to um, a, a a cause, or uh, essentially just you has a pro bono matter that they that they want to be considered by our pro bono committee and they think you know is in in need of support where do they go who do they contact um and and sort of what do you recommend uh doing for for a listener in that position
3: well i would encourage folks that are in that position to just reach out to me directly i'm probably the best place uh person at the firm to help direct their request or their inquiry to um, other lawyers, to the pro bono committee, or to, you know, help or or to have a discussion with them about whether um, it's an area where we might be able to help. So um, I, I really encourage people to reach out to me.
2: Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Grace. Thank you. Thanks,
3: Grace. Thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure to, to be here and to talk with you about these issues. We hope you enjoyed this
1: episode of Disputed. If you'd like to find out more about this topic or how to contact our guests, please visit nortonrosefulbright.com slash disputed. Also, if you have any questions, feedback, or topics that you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please do email us at disputed at nortonrosefulbright.com. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to Disputed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.